put on AirPods because I was like, dang, is it because like I can't hear her? <laughs> no, it's my AirPods. You know what? They're so built up with wax. It's so gross. I need to clean them. It's disgusting. Um, just clean them with a the Q-tip and peroxide. That's what I do. You do what? Just take a little, because I clean my ears with peroxide. I put it in the Q-tip and drop it down so it eats the wax. And I clean my AirPods like three times a week the same way. I put a little little peroxide on the Q-tip and it dissolves it all. And then there's no gunk in there. I've never cleaned my AirPods. So there's that. Now you know. I know. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're so beautiful. And then you say stuff like that. And I'm like... <laughs> Hey y'all, and welcome to the Books We Should Have Read podcast. My name is Ashley Ray, and I'm a writer and producer on a mission to get adults who typically aren't into reading, into reading through the exploration of Black literary classics. This pod is an extension to the BWSR Book Club, which is currently reading classics surrounding relationships and magic, and you can find our complete book list for this collection at booksweshouldhavread.com. Tune in each week as I discuss a classic from the reading list with a member of my tribe, from what we love to what we hate about it, but ultimately rave about why each one is a book we all must read. Today we'll be talking about our third read in this collection, Sula, also by Toni Morrison, with my best friend since I was seven years old, Kelly. My intro is just like, you know, your childhood friend who's also a lover of all books. Like, And the re- reason why I have splotchy eyebrows today. Okay, first of all, <laughs> first of all, no one told you to do that to your eyebrows. Kelly, we both you made had fun of me. Eyebrows, though. We both had jack of eyebrows. That was like a complex you gave me, though. And I'm not going to say I didn't give you any, but <laughs> you also tell me my eyebrows look like caterpillars. You gave them right back. But the difference is I didn't go and start shake them or tweeze them tonight. Girl, and I, I have like no eyebrows. Professional. <laughs> Sula is, I think, at a glance, It looks like a story about a girl going into adulthood, trying to reconcile her relationship with her her family. But at its core, it is not just about Sula, which I like. It is about um, an all-Black town. It is about the people in this town, how they reconcile their traumas, their relationships with their family, their relationships with each other. And it also has these little nuances of what you think the next person might have more than you, they actually are going through something else that you're not even aware of. And I love that about the book. I love that like at a glance, you think it's just, you look at it, you think, oh, it's it's about a, a, the main character, Sula. But I don't think Sula is the main character. Mm-mm. I, at all, I think that it is a book about a group of characters that we get to know and we fall in love with. And Sula just happens to be the the motivator for that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, I would agree I would agree also when reading it um I'm not going to name the town that we both lived in for obvious reasons oh, yeah. but um I barely want them to have my Instagram okay <laughs> I, know, right? to, I want them to know where we grew up no. exactly no not at all okay but the bottom reminds me of yeah don't you see the correlations? Like uh, when I read it again, so I read this book when I was 14 the first time. I read it when I was 23, 24 the second time, and then I read it again this week. So I'm 31. And I love the thing about Toni Morrison is she does not underestimate her reader's capacity of understanding things, which I appreciate. And I feel like authors like that you can go back and enjoy their books and you get something from it every time you read it. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely some nuances that correlate with the town that we grew up in. A lot, actually. Like, honestly, I'm like, did she come to this town? (laughs) Like like the gossip, like all of it. Gossip, how they turn on each other. Um, It's so, a crazy person in town. 
that like parades down the street. Like got a couple. Got a got a couple. <laughs> and it's just it's mind blowing to me how much how poignant it was. And when I read this book last well, and I re- I reread it and did some notes over the last few days, and last night I finished it up. And I was kind of scared when I was reading it because, you know, I told you we got you got to do this book for your podcast because it is my favorite book. Selfishly, I said that, but also because we both love Toni Morrison. Yes. And I was like, it is my favorite book. It's my number one favorite book. And I'm not going to lie. When I started reading this again, I got nervous. Like, what if it's not my favorite book no more? What if I read it and I still don't feel the same way? I finished this book and I was like, I feel amazing about loving this book. I'm so glad it's my favorite book because it's, it's beautiful. But anyway. Well, the way she writes, like, she, I always say, like, I'm very breathy when I write. Like, I write too many words in a sentence, but it makes sense to me. And I love Toni Morrison because she does the same exact thing. Yes. But it's, like, so poetic. When, yes, I was going to say, when I first read this book at 14, I didn't know how to understand a lot of the nuances because we were 14. Like, we, you know, we were, I was a baby. But I remember when I was 14, I liked the book because it was like poetry to me. Like, I remember I always, it felt like poetry. I love her use of metaphors. Oh, aren't they so true? They're so true. And just like, she's so descriptive. Like, I felt like, you feel like you're in the bottom. You feel like you're one of the people watching the happening. The outskirts, watching it all happen. Watching it all happen. And it, it, you feel like every part of, what's going on when she describes how hot it is outside that people are sitting under trees you're like yes you it's december i'm reading this i'm like yeah i am hot i'm hot it's hot it's hot out here like that's how i like she's just oh we tony morrison deserves everything she really does she's amazing So Sulu the Novel was published in 1973, and it takes place in Medallion, Ohio, and follows the lives of the people who live there from like 1920 through like 1960s. It's a really interesting book exploring motherhood and the yin and the yang of these two best friends. This is my first time diving into Sula, but as you just heard, this is like Kelly's third time reading it. And it's really such a treasure. I cannot believe it took me this long to discover it. It's definitely a story of resilience and you walk away from reading this book like, yo, we are so dope. No matter what society tries to tell us every day, or that or even like my favorite thing currently is this image that black people are lazy mm. huh. how how where F- never i've worked for every bit of everything i have as you have as well as our parents our grandparents our ancestors and this book proves that like mm-hmm. we are giving nothing like they were given literally nothing um and and they made it something so great Mm-hmm. They made it very cool too, because eventually I was also a little bit confused with this too. Did white people eventually? They eventually moved there, though, right? Some whites so are they poorer whites? As it always happens, um, this is uh, what I loved about this is Toni Morrison also made sure that she ended the book pointing out gentrification and how real it is. So this area of Ohio was all black. It was all black and it was for so long, black people were made to think we got the, the shittier end of the stick. When act- in actuality, as more white people began to move to this part of Ohio, they were like, wait, you telling me it's poor black people living up here with river views, beautiful fields and all this land? Girl, what I heard. And what they did was they did the same thing that we see today. They go into the black community and they start buying up the block. Because it's cheaper. <laughs> it's cheaper. And then what they do is they build it up and they make it so expensive that in the end, Black people couldn't even afford to live at the bottom if they wanted to. If they, and the thing is, and they market it as like, you could have this gorgeous house on the hill. Now yes. it's a hill. <laughs> and, and what it was was in, in Sula, the townspeople were so conditioned to believe that the bottom was 
the worst of the worst and that your goal should always be to get down to the hill because again it's that thought that i want to seat at a table you know what i'm saying and it's like no 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 you don't want to seat at the table make your own table bring your own chairs and f them people exactly exactly which is you see i see that today even um with my corporate day job oftentimes we, I see people of, like, I see our fellow Black people and other people of color will buy in the affluent areas rather than buying in an area that might be up and coming. But what I see opposite is that um, you'll see white people buying in these, you know, in the inner city, in these mm-hmm. areas that they aren't anything yet, but in a couple years, like, they're going to triple their investment. But that's like that mindset. Okay. Yes. And Mm -hmm. white people have the luxury to invest. A lot of black people don't have enough wealth for investments. Exactly. It it ties back into all of that, Mm -hmm. which I thought what I loved about Sula is because we see that this is not something new as Mm -hmm. we know, but some people might think, no, 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 this is generational. This has happened for centuries, literally. And, and we all deal with it on some level. So mm-hmm. white people with that generational wealth and in a black community necessarily just being like, I want to feed my family. As we know, mm-hmm. we see in the book, a lot of characters, they're just doing what they can to survive the next day. There's a great line that Eva says where she didn't have time to think about loving her kids because she just had to make sure y'all were good the next day. Exactly. She had to feed y'all. Okay. Feed y'all. What you talking about love? Exactly. You had a house. Exactly. Love food. left her with a dollar and some change in her bank and uh, in her hands and three and babies. Three and three babies. Okay. There are so many dynamic characters in this novel, and I think to make the most sense of them, it would be best for us to try to paint like a character family tree, if you will, so we can kind of categorize everyone. And to start, we would put Nell and Sula on either side of this tree because the story pretty much revolves around their lives. So we have the Wright family, which is Nell's family. And Nell comes from a very traditional home. Her mother, Helene, is this Creole woman who married a man and has a very regular life with their um amazing daughter who they continuously try to put in the box, which I believe is for her own safety. And on the other side, we have the Peace family, which is Sula's family. And it's very non-traditional. Sula grew up in a very matriarchal household with her grandmother, Eva, being at the top of that, and her mother, Hannah, being the second command, if you will. So Eva Peace, had about three children with Hannah Peace and Plum Peace being the most significant. Hannah Peace is Sula's mother, of which she had with her husband, who in the book was deceased. Then sprinkled at the bottom, we have some other really cool characters like Shadrach, who for me is one of my favorite characters in this novel because it kind of bookends with him meaning that it starts with the chapter about Shadrach and it ends with the chapter about him as well. And it could be a little confusing on the first read, but as you continue to get through the book, you'll see just how important Shadrach is to the story. Then we have Jude Green who marries Nell later in life. We have Ajax who is an amazing lover of Sula's, Tar Baby, who lives with the Peace family. The Deweys, who are these very interesting little boys grown into men who kind of symbolize one person. And Chicken Little, who has a very tragic death in the beginning of the novel that really sets the tone for Sula and Nell's relationship. So like it's just interesting. Okay, let's let's introduce Shadrach because he is one of the first characters that is introduced. Yes, he's my first one on my notes. Okay. Good. Um, so I would say so Shadrach 
which is interesting. I don't remember. It's so interesting doing this read again because for whatever reason, I completely forgot about his intro and um, the end of the book of Sula, which, you know, but I'm glad I reread it because I'm like, oh, wow, this is what happens when PTSD from war, untreated because it's 1921, 1920s coming out of the First World War. And he, like, we see this today. I thought it was a great comparison. Somebody with mental illness and the cops don't know how to handle it. And instead of helping them, they put him in jail. And he ends up, so he has all these traumas that are unreconciled. He doesn't even know if he's a real person anymore. He, he's convinced himself that he's not real until he sees his reflection in a jail toilet and realizes that he has the blackest skin and that he's an actual real person. And that kind of helps, like he no longer is having such bad freakouts is what I thought. And then it's like he never lost that, I don't wanna call him craziness, but he, he never got the help he needed. So he was still ill and he starts National Suicide Day, which was his way of kind of being like, I'm going to walk around the town and ring this cowbell. Ooh, ooh, lost the AirPod. I'm going to walk around this town, ring this cowbell, and have people join me if they choose. Because he's trying to make it seem like, I think, and maybe you can correct me on this, what I got was that he realized that his strength was that he realized at any point he could end it all. And I think that's so powerful, though. Yeah. Right? Like, and he wanted to give that power to others. Exactly. Recognizing, like, I thought he was the most, even though we don't know, like, he's not someone who, um, he's someone who helps create the bottom's reality, like how they incorporate National Suicide Day into all of their, like, <laughs> rituals and traditions and stuff. But yeah. he's, he's not a character that we hear a lot about. No. Um, but he's seriously one of the most dynamic characters to me because the fact that even though he's a being a little bit out of his mind allowed him to see himself in multiple dimensions and to really own that power. A lot of people on the bottom were working because they, this is like, they were following that um what is it that chain that that lineage of just like working to support your family uh women are supposed to get married by a certain age and and have babies and then the man goes to work and works for his family until he dies and then the woman has to do you know what i mean like and everybody's trying to follow that same path but like this guy like is really doing what the fuck he wants when he wants to do it a hundred percent and not caring about what anybody has to say doesn't care, cussed out white people, and like, white people didn't mess with him. This is 1920, this is the 1921 is when the book opens. Mm -hmm. He's cussing out white people, reading them to riot, and, and guess what, and they're so, they're so scared of him that they're like, oh, let him go. Mm -hmm. And he does, he lives by his own rules and his own means, lives in his little shack in the woods or by the river, sells fish a couple times a week, he does little odd jobs to support himself, and also what I thought was interesting is Tony Morrison makes sure to point out that he is very handsome. Like he's a good looking guy. Like he's not how you would think of somebody with mental illness, oftentimes how they're portrayed in films or even in other books as like unkempt, like unkept, wild hair, just crazy, don't take care of themselves. Like, no, he's portrayed as being handsome. And like, had he not gone to war and come back with this post-traumatic stress disorder, He'd be like any woman would happily, you know, marry him and start a family with him. And I thought that was very interesting. Mm -hmm. It's like, he is not what you think, what most people would think when they think mental illness or a crazy person walking around down the street, you know, ringing a cowbell like and telling people, come on out. If you want to kill yourself, today's the day. Hey, you got the power. <laughs> and that's what I thought that was so beautiful. Like, I love that he tries to give the power back to the people at the bottom, even though they don't realize it, even though they've written it off. But as we know, in the end, mm -hmm. they do, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. that's all like, like he, he's crazy. He's out of his mind. Like, okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. But he knows more than he knows more than most of them. He which... sure does. Okay. And he sees everything too.
after Shadrach, we are introduced to Nell and her mother, Helene. Woo, a Creole Southern woman. You know what's interesting? Helene kind of reminded me of stories I heard about my great-grandmom, who was from New Orleans, Creole, high yellow, very like a different breed. I would call them a different breed of Black. Mm. We could get into something else with that. But but she, like, it was interesting, that dynamic there between mother and daughter. Because I think with Sula, it touches on female relationships hugely. It's a lot about female relationships and their dynamics. And it's like, we know Helene loved her child, but there were also, like, nuances of, like, close your nose when she make her wear a safety pin on her nose because it was a, a closed pin because it's too wide, which I've heard of that. In different cultures, I've heard of that. It's so crazy. The com- the complexes we have, Kelly. The complex and like, or how she looked at Nell and thought Nell was beautiful, except for that nose that she got from her father. And I was like, what? Okay. And so we meet Helene and Nell in the early 1920s when she's traveling back to New Orleans for her grandmother's aka her mom the woman who raised her's funeral um and there would you say that we learn a lot in that moment that about what helps to shape Nell into the type of person that she is a hundred percent the things that Nell got from her mom to me was like that traditionalism like under like believing like the woman is to get married, she's to raise her family, and she is to cater to her man. And I thought that there was, there's a great line in the book where um, they describe, like when they talk about Nell's relationship with her parents, they said, like Toni Morrison says, they took everything from, they took everything from Nell. They made her dull. They took mm-hmm. away her glow. Mm-hmm. everything that made her unique and fun and she was only that way with Sula Sula brought that out in her yeah brought out the best in her and then they took that away and and I thought that I was like wow because parents can do that they can they she also said like something like they rub the imagination out of her mm. parents, do, parents can easily do that but they think they're doing the good the right thing they right think about this book is like Toni Morrison doesn't she's not blaming them because they are just trying to they want their daughter to be okay in this world that she's living in a world that mind you is still very racist black people have hardly like they have no rights Can we, could they even vote back in the night could we even vote in the 1920s yet you're the one who took Afri- african-american studies I'm a, I'm a grad school dropout though girl I didn't okay, finish <laughs> but I did learn all of this once upon a time I knew it all but I don't. I'm an advertising major, so. I spend my time reading fiction now, so there's that. I spend my time reading romance novels. Don't depend on me, guys, for good yeah, But anyway. But anyway, <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Is like, so, like, Nell and Helene's relationship is very much like, Nell does feel stifled by her mom, but she, she has a love for her mom, but she's stifled by her. And it's understood that, like, when she's with Sula, she's so free. She loved going to Sula's house because it was messy. There were a lot of people in and out. Everybody just openly laughed and had fun. And her mom was more of like, you know, very, she went to church, volunteered at church, very like prim and proper. And as a lady, you carry yourself this way. Dishes never piled in the sink. Um, you, you did your chores every day. You dusted, you you made sure your, your husband had a full meal on the table. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... So it's interesting because I always wondered, like, if Nell had more resentment for her mom, because we talk about Sula's resentment for her mother. Yeah. I don't, here's the thing. I I don't think that Nell had resentment for her mother. I think that she was fine living between the two worlds. Ah, that's Because when she goes to, so... Um, when we first open in on Helene and Nell, when she is traveling with her mother to New Orleans, she gets a peek into like her, she gets to, she sees who her mom's mom was. Oh, she sees the women her mom comes from. Yeah, the woman she came from. And she's, yeah. uh, she, um, yes, and she's almost like, 
she's taken aback. Like, she's so pretty. She looks so young. And that's my grandma? Yeah. And this grandmother who's so vivacious and free. And I also wonder, because after that trip, she decides she's going to be friends with Sula because mm-hmm. she decides she wants more women like that in her life. And those are the type of women that Sula comes from. Mm-hmm. But her upbringing made her feel so safe and secure, right? She saw her parents' relationship and like what you do to keep a man, supposedly, and like what you do to have a stable life. But then in, while also having a stable life, she was still able to play in Sula's world too, uh, which yeah. gave her that like thrill. And so I feel like Nell was copacetic. Until she wasn't later. She had the best of, she had the best of both worlds. Like she could go back to that stability, but she could put, she could step over to this like wild side, this more fun side or this, this part. And she could let that part of herself out that like her parents tried so hard for her to hide and cover up. She could let that part of herself out with Sula. Yeah. The Peace family is ran by the head of household, who is Eva Peace. And Eva, to me, is definitely the epitome of a strong Black woman, a woman that gets it done. She was married to Boy Boy, and she had three children, Hannah Peace, the oldest, Eva Jr., who they call Pearl, and a son named Ralph, who goes by the nickname Plum. Boy Boy goes to work one day and never comes back, which we can really dive deep into that. And there's this like really like insane moment she has with like, I think it's Plum, because I I think this means a lot, especially later on when we talk about her relationship with Plum and he's like an infant and he's like congested. He hasn't gone to the bathroom. And she she literally uses like the last bit of food she has to help him pass his, you know, his, his bowels to make him feel better. Cause you, you could die from that. And yeah. especially infants. And she was in the cold, in the woods. And that's when she like with this newborn and she was like, I have to figure this out. Like, I cannot let my kids starve. I can't let my kids die. We are not going to die like this. She takes the baby, drops him off with the neighbor and tells the neighbor, I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> and comes and back. Up, 18 months later, she comes back a year and a half later with all this money and a missing leg. <laughs> I kid you not. And it's just like, oh, and she gets to build in, she builds this house, this huge house that she makes until, it's basically, I guess we would describe it as a, a, a bed and breakfast. Mm-hmm. And that becomes her her way of income her income would so eva to me is also like okay so shadrach is num top shadrach's top two eva's top two it for me like eva reminds me of my grandmother (laughs) oh yes dolly senior dolly senior back in the day girl listen never dependent on no man for nothing because they can leave you like that in the cold you gotta do it yourself so like that like independence that fire in her I really dug and how like she's lived that very traditional lifestyle before there's no telling how she got this money so I can't rule out whether or not she's a prostitute or how she lost her leg (laughs) it's literally like Toni Morrison drops that she's like she came back 18 months later with a bunch of money and no leg and no and and sitting in the wagon and then you know okay can we talk about Eva's makeshift wheelchair right yes that she had one of her her side dudes make her exactly described as larger than life like people that even when she was in her wheelchair people still felt like she was above them yeah even though she low to the ground it's not no regular wheelchair it's a wagon it's a wagon we gotta stress that like this isn't a wheelchair that you see people pushing from a hospital no this is a a wagon wagon. that was created just for her low to the ground very low to the ground but just such a dynamic personality and nobody crossed her yet nobody crossed her nobody messed with her family and she also took in like she was also a 
a safe place for the people of the, bo the bottom because she made sure that people had a place to come to a community. Mm -hmm. um, she looked out for the kids as we, when we find out about the Deweys and, and, and made sure that they were protected and safe. But she, and I, I feel like she was like the, <laughs> the unofficial mayor of the bottom. Exactly. Sense. She was the first person you went to when you got to the bottom and you needed a place to stay. Yep. From Eva, let's go to Hannah. Who, Hannah Peace to me is such a interesting character and in that you could say a lot like her mother, she did all the, she did all the right things, traditional, got married, had a child. Now, unlike what happened with her mother and father, she, her husband didn't run off and leave her, but he died and left her with a toddler who is What do they say? Left. left is still left, honey. Left is still left. Whether he left on his own or left by the lower hand. <laughs> left is still more. left. And, uh, and Hannah's interesting because she realizes, I did the marriage thing, but I like freedom more. And let me tell you, she did it by any means necessary, which I found interesting because Sula takes a lot after her mother and does a lot of the same things her mom does. But the description that Toni Morrison gives um, Hannah is almost like, you know, she might sleep with your man, but she'll give you a nice compliment. She's so sweet. Everybody loves her. Everybody loves her. She cooked good. She's uh -huh. running that bed and breakfast. Mm -hmm. And she's a good person. But now, now she's going to sleep with your man, though. Yeah, everybody loved her except for Helene. Helene thought that Everybody she loved her except for Helene. Hannah didn't do nothing that Hannah didn't want to do, period. It, even when it came to her mom who ruled that house with an iron fist. Mm -hmm. Hannah she, did her thing. Mm -hmm. um, and Hannah reminds me of Shadrach. I feel like all the characters, there's like a little piece of each other in all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Who's Sula? So now we talked about Eva, which is Hannah's mom. And then we talked about Hannah, which is Sula's mom. Who is Sula? Sula, so Shadrach and Eva are number one and number two for you. Sula is my number one. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you why. Sula is, from a young age, realizes that she sees how society will always view her. First, mm -hmm she's a woman. Second, she's a black woman. She will never be equal. She will never have equal footing. She will always be this, not even a second class citizen at that point, lower than that. Yeah. And she says, you know what? Then why would I live my life being miserable? I'm going to live my life being me. And even from a young age as a, a girl, she was just very adventurous and very interested in feeling things, like understanding why people felt the way they felt, why they reacted the way they reacted. And I will say on this third read, I questioned, I said, is she a psychopath? Listen, she got a little bit of Eva in her. A For lot sure. of it. The fact and, that she'll mutilate herself. Or, or in the fact that she also, she, she brings up that she, didn't understand how to react to certain things. Like she never reacted to things the way other people do. And we mm -hmm. see that later on in life, people, although they might at the time be like taken aback by her honesty, they appreciate it. Um, and Sula is just like, she's this character that to me, she is, the, the reason the book is named after her, in my opinion, is because she is the heart of this community. Like she is the the one piece of the puzzle that brings everything together in mm -hmm. such a strange way mm -hmm. and she's such a unique character and i love that she got a bit so much she got a bit of her mom in her or a lot of her mom and that she marches to the beat of her own drum mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. she does what she wants and like eva she's gonna do what she gotta do for herself and then yep. at the end of the day and uh so she's definitely like, she's my favorite character. All right, so we just met some really interesting characters at Eva Peace's house, which is where Sula resides. Next up, Kelly and I are going to dive into Plum, who is Eva Peace's youngest son and his really tragic 
experience. Consider this to be your spoiler warning, guys. Shit's about to get real crazy in the Peace household. And this is a man who had, you know, such a bright future ahead of him, or as bright as it could be in those times. And this war that he fought in, completely lost his sanity in, he comes back home to still be treated like crap, which we could say about a lot of our Black soldiers during these times. And, um, and Eva takes it into her own hands. He is not getting out of bed. He's just, you know, listening to music all day, all night. He's not drinking, eating drugs. Not eating, doing drugs. But, and they say he's like Tar Baby because Tar Baby is, a, is an alcoholic. Doesn't leave his room, drinks, barely eats. And they said Plum is like Tar Baby, except you don't see it, wine bottles. So that's like your clue, like, okay. And then there's, you see a blackened spoon. Mm-hmm. And Eva sees this happening and one night she goes downstairs she lays with him coddles coddles him him, calls him her baby says how much he loves he's like in and out he's he's high Mm -hmm. so he's in and out of his high and he describes it as feeling like water is flowing over him and really what's happening is eva is pouring kerosene on him she lights her own child on fire and locks the bedroom door and burns him to death. Mm-hmm. And that to me is like, I feel like people could read that and be like, what? But then you understand like the extent of her mother's love is just like, I cannot watch my baby suffer like this. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to end it for him. I'm going to end it for him because he's not strong enough to do it himself. But why fire though? That's. That was a constant with that fucking family. So then we get to Hannah. (laughs) Which is crazy because I think the first thing I think about is like the dreams that Hannah was having prior to her death. The foreshadowing. And it's like, oh, prior to Hannah dying, they say, they they keep changing the number because they say four or five weird things started happening. Here's on Thursday when Hannah brought Eva her fried tomatoes and soft scrambled eggs with the white left out for good luck. She mentioned her dream of the wedding dress. Neither one bothered to look it up for they both knew the number was 522. And then she played the number. It's just like some real superstitious like black shit. Very <laughs> Like you know when they say like um, when you have a dream when you have a every good things come in threes or something like that or like. Yeah. If you have a dream about fish, somebody's pregnant. Like, if your palm is itchy, then that means money's coming. If your ear is itchy, someone's talking about you. (laughs) Like, things that Black people say. Oh, this is things Black people say. And we believe wholeheartedly. My hand is, I'm like, oh, I'm about to find $20. I don't split no pole, and I don't walk under nobody's ladder, and I don't open an umbrella under anybody's roof. Hello. People look at me like I'm crazy when I don't split a pole. Like I will, you're starting to split that pole. I'm going right behind you. Exactly. Listen, exactly. I will fight somebody. Like I don't try to do it. Someone who I used to date, I won't name them, but someone who I used to date used to do it intentionally and be like, so you believe in these things. Why do you believe in them? They're so irrational. And I was just like, I know they're irrational. I'm black. <laughs> it doesn't need to be explained though. Like I see, I see black people not splitting a pole and I give them I give my like I give them a look like I understand. Crazy? Who are you? Who raised you? <laughs> Why? Why do y'all think it's okay to split poles and put your purse on the floor? Uh, so you can lose your money? You ain't ever gonna have nobody. <laughs> you ain't never gonna have money because you put that goddamn purse on the floor. People think I'm crazy. (laughs) But here's the thing. Nobody, it's like, that's our culture. Those are things that we just picked up. That's why it's so funny. um, There's no class that tells us these things. No. So when Hannah's talking to Eva about her dream with the red dress, they don't even have to say what number it is. They just knew that she needed to play 522 when the number guy came around. Like, How many times has your mama played numbers Cause y'all like saw this number, y'all kept seeing it. Now I gotta play. All the threes. <laughs> she's out in the yard, and what is she lighting on fire? Like she's. I, she's was it grass? It was like she was like burning old grass. She's burning something in the yard. 
and she goes up in flames. The flames catch on her skirts because Hannah will wear these house dresses and man's and these men's slippers. And she goes up in flames. Eva is in her room watching from the window. And again, remember Eva is in her like is has one leg. It's in not funny, but it's like the sight took me out, Kelly. She literally throws herself, she starts screaming because she sees her baby on fire. She throws herself out of the window, hoping to land on Hannah and put out the flames. And doesn't. (laughs) You are so, don't laugh because I'm going to laugh. Somebody got to tell the story, right? It's important to say Hannah Peace was beautiful. Like she was known as, if she's burnt, like, and she's still alive and in pain, like, which is crazy to me. So they so get insane. And the whole time, Eva is just watching from her 10 feet away. And I think she was never the same because she just had this conversation with her child about whether or not she loved her. And then you watch your, your baby burn. After you've already burned another child. It's very karmic to it's me it's very karmic and it's like almost like is this your punishment mm-hmm. and hannah maybe took joy in that like oh because she did ask her well if you loved us why did you do that to plum right exactly if, we, if you loved us so much why would you do that and she explained it but it wasn't good enough for hannah it wasn't and there are a lot of moving pieces here at this point to me because eva remembers that as she was on that ground with blood on her face bleeding watching her daughter lay there being flames being put out of her she looks over and she sees sula standing on the porch watching watching and even make sure to say she watched Mm -hmm. not that she was like stuck and panicked she said no she watched Mm -hmm. her mom burn and didn't offer to help and then since then eva did not fuck with sula Ever since then, Eva is now, she looks at Sula in a very different way. Even though everybody tried to tell her, no, she was just scared. Eva's like, I saw what I saw. Mm -hmm. I say this at the end of the day, Eva for whatever she thinks, gave a, like a lot of her traits passed down from her to her grandchild. And I think, and I always wonder, like, did Eva look at that and realize like Sula's a lot more like her than she anticipated? And is kind of like scared about it. But will never admit like, that she's scared, but she's scared nope. of her. But knowing that she created this. Mm-hmm. Something that we didn't talk about is Chicken Little. This is where I get confused because he goes into the river and they are just like, well, Nell is very cold during this whole transaction, by the way. He's super just like stoic. And calm, freakishly calm. Like Sula is losing her mind because she knows that she just killed, like a fellow kid just died. Not, and it's not like Sula purposely killed him. It's an accident. And Nell's just like, all right, well, we got to get home. And and that kind of bothers me a little bit that, and I know she did it for a reason, right? That Tony didn't focus, Tony Morrison didn't focus too much on Nell's family. Yes, because I feel like, it's interesting because I feel like there was a lot about Nell. Because remember how in in the beginning I said, was Sula a psychopath? But was Nell wasn't were they both and they just like fit and they found they they saw something alike in each other Sula brings this up later that Nell was her other half whether she acknowledged it or not they were two halves of a whole yeah she really loved Nell and cherished their friendship and there's a there's a part in the book it's like in my it's page 52 and it's I I made a note so when they first when they when they met first in those chocolate halls and next Mm -hmm. through the ropes of the swing because the chocolate halls are their school and then on the school swings they felt the ease and the comfort of old friends because each had discovered years before that they were neither white nor male and that all freedom and triumph was forbidden to them Mm -hmm. they had set about creating something else to be 
Their meeting was fortunate for it let them use each other to grow on. Daughters of distant mothers and incomprehensible fathers. Sula's because he was dead, Nell's because he wasn't. They found in each other's eyes the intimacy they were looking for. And I was like, damn. Like when I read that, I was like, this is their friendship. Because again, the two halves of a whole. They looked at each other and saw the same thing in a way. And it's just, as they got older, they went about different paths in life, as we'll find out. But it's, you got to remember that they, they're still that part, like they're still the same. They just acted on it in a different way. Absolutely. Okay. So yes, because I want to get to this part. So Sula leaves. Yes. She has this, we find out later that she's lived all over this country. Okay. Like a bad oh, bitch yeah. does. Okay. Went to college. Went to college. Like came back. She go, and she's gone for a decade too. She's not gone for like, oh. and she leaves the day of Nell's wedding. Wedding. Yeah. And doesn't even say bye. Nell just looks over as she's doing her dance with her husband and sees Sula. She describes it. She sees a blue dress and a strut and a hand holding a sun hat walking out down the road. And then they hadn't seen or spoken to each other for 10 years. Sula wasn't a jealous type of girl. No. She was envious. She was very happy for her friend. Because in her eyes, if Nell is happy, I'm happy. Yeah. This that is was a big thing. So I'm happy for her. Right? Exactly. Um, so Sula leaves for 10 years. We find out later that she just like is living like a bad bitch does. I mean, seemingly. That's how I took it. Listen, I'm going to take it that way because that's how Sula was. But before she gets back, the town is wreaking havoc. (laughs) Nature is wreaking havoc on this town. Yes. She comes back and Robin's dead, alive and shitting, welcome her back to this town. And they describe it as, like, the folklore is, like, the day she comes back into town, they're falling from the sky dead, and they're shitting everywhere. <laughs> Their pearly white shit is how Toni Morrison describes it. It's everywhere. Everywhere. And Sula coming in with her cute dress, her little dainty red luggage, her purse. She just moving them I mean, and wearing heels. Very indifferent about it. Like Very <laughs> indifferent, like, I'm home. <laughs> Listen, I don't care what no one says. Sula is definitely a Sagittarius. Yes, terrorist. (laughs) No, but in real life, she's definitely a fire sign. So there are some bonus clips that are not going to make this recording just because the episode would be way too long. But I did post them on our social media platforms. So if you go to Books We Should Have Read on Instagram or Books WSR on Twitter, you'll be able to catch some of these bonus clips. And they are of me and Kelly diving into who the Deweys are and what we believe they represent. And of us disagreeing on Hannah Peace's death. Was it an accident? Or did she intentionally mean to kill herself? Let us know what you guys think. Okay, now back to the episode. Sola comes back to the bottom in 1937. So she's been gone for 10 years. And although Toni Morrison doesn't tell us how long from arriving back to the bottom till her first visit with Nell, we can assume that Sula got things done. Like, I think probably day two, she got Eva up out of there. She, she got guardianship papers out of nowhere, signed it off and said, take her to this old folks home. And she goes and sees Nell. And we realize that this is, I think, the part where I realized, wow, they are two completely different people. Nell, who has gotten married, has three children now is a stay-at-home mom, cooking, cleaning. She's now become Helene Wright, her mom. And Sula has become her mom, in a sense, right? The only difference is Sula is college-educated, and she traveled. She saw the country. And I feel like there's just this very definitive line. I get, like, Nell, the wife, the mother, the caretaker, Sula, the wild one the fun one traveling 
And that doesn't separate them. They're still best friends. They're still talking like they haven't been gone for 10 years, like, or Sula hasn't been gone for 10 years. And I, I like that, but I also feel like the things like Sula kind of touches on later in the book that like Nell kind of became like the woman that they used to see through. She, she mm-hmm. called it, we would see right through those women. Like, Absolutely. Which is why I think Sula then rescued her from that life. so here's the thing also i never mentioned this but this is my first time reading sula right okay yeah and so before i read sula you were like oh my gosh you gotta read sula oh she gets on my nerves but that's what you said before your third time reading it you told me that sula got on your nerves the first time i loved sula second read i was like how could she do this to her friend third read this week i was like Oh, no. She's a real friend. Yeah, she rescued her from that very mundane life because Nell was very capable of taking care of herself, right? Like, Nell was smart. She was intelligent. I think Sula even, they even mentioned that, like, Nell was the smart one. Oh, I don't remember that. But I got that. Like, Sula was the wild one and Nell was the more, like, mature. Sat back, watched everything. Yeah everything that was happening was very emotionally intelligent like at a very young age and like um so Sula sleeps with Nell's nasty ass husband Jude Sula sleeps with Jude Nell's husband and on for you know on the surface level, you could be like, oh, that ratchet-ass bitch. Well, she don't believe in herself. Why she got to go and sleep with another woman's man? But then you think. Things start adding up. One, Nell would have never left him. She wasn't going to leave him. She wasn't even going to bring up that she walked in on them having sex. When they, because they stopped talking. And when they, like, talk when, um towards the end of the book I won't get tell them why yet but when they're talking Nell asks her but did you love him like why did you do it if you didn't love him Sula though in my mind was doing her best friend a favor whether she realized it or not because I wonder too if Sula realized that she because I really think Sula thought Nell wouldn't care because Sula looked at men as transactional mm. And she assumed that the person who's her best friend, who, who is her other half, would look at it as well, as well that way. Yeah, I didn't even read it like that. I thought about it like, duh, bitch, I'm coming in here. You don't need, you don't need this Negro for what? That's the thing, because Sula's feelings are really, like, non-existent, except for when it comes to Nell. And that's when she realized, oh, shit, wait. She oh, I hurt her. her. Yeah, I hurt her. Sula then gets a taste of her own medicine, though. With Ajax. With Ajax, who I was in love with since the beginning. Like, I was like, ooh, yes. We need to go back and mention Sula and Nell first encounter Ajax when they're, like, 12. They used to, like, purposely go to this ice cream shop. And you would have to go past the pool hall where Ajax, who was, like, 8 or 10 years older than them, he was, like, 20. Mm Mm-hmm. He was, like, fresh out the military. He was fine. Fine him as his, hell. Him and his boys would sit around being cute, saying, like, they would say, he would say, like, fresh stuff, but it wasn't this, it wasn't untasteful. But they, picky? Like, was, you know, you know back in them days it was. What's pink? Swine? I would look at him like, oh, God. No. But they loved it, though. And they loved it. I mean, I, I get it, though, because he got the je ne sais quoi. Listen. So they always had a crush on, like, girls in town always had a crush on, and he was a lover of many women in that town. They even said, like, he would watch the women fight over him. Like, people would come out, watch the women fight, and he'd be sitting there watching them fight, too. Didn't they say, like, knives? Knives. Women were pulling out, having knife fights in the street for this guy. That's how fine he was. (laughs) So when she slept with Jude everybody found out and then there was just these horrible rumors about her like a little boy came knocking on her door she went, <laughs> she went to answer he falls he falls down the steps accidentally 
and people start this rumor that she pushed him and he broke his leg. He That's because his leg. when his mom saw him, she was standing all on top of him because she was trying to help him. She was trying to help him up and figure out what's wrong. And his and this little boy's mom was a town drunk. Sula is very much a catalyst of the story because this town drunk, this woman who never cared about her kid, what happened to him, becomes this fierce mama bear and swears that she will never allow anybody to hurt her child the way Sula did. Mm-hmm. Even and though when she think, took the, the kid to the doctor, the doctor said that he broke his bones because he was malnourished. He was malnourished because we find out the mom was giving him five cents to get soda pop and like honey buns for breakfast every day. <laughs> what ends up happening is people realize, well, she slept with her best friend's husband. I got to hold my husband tight. I got to make sure he's cared for and he's loved. So women start take, taking care of their men even more. And then they say, like, women who would complain about their in-laws and having to take care of them, they take care of their in-laws more because they watch Sula put her grandmother in a nursing home. Mm-hmm. So she begins to make this town better mm-hmm. in their mutual hatred for her. Mm-hmm. And she don't care. Like, Sula literally is in the big house living her life, and Ajax shows up. Fine Ajax. Bringing gifts. And they begin this affair. and. At this point, it's like Sula kind of feels like she found her equal because he's like her. He's he loves to travel. He loves to talk about things. And she even says that he was the first man. She never had conversations with men because she felt like they weren't listening to her. They were looking at her, but they weren't listening. She said she would see their eyes haze over. Yeah, because they I mean, they were kings. Right. And the women were there to only serve them. Exactly. Why should I listen to what she said? But Ajax actually listened to her. They could talk for hours, talk about their dreams. He wanted to be a pilot. And like, they just saw each other. They didn't want to have, and they also were so against traditional life. Like they didn't want to get married. They didn't want to have kids. They just wanted to live. Everything is going well. And Sula starts to change a little bit because she wrote, she finds herself waiting for him to come over, Mm. anticipating his arrival. He immediately is like, yeah, nah, I gotta get out. Doesn't stop him from having sex with her before he leaves, though. I don't know. What did you think of that relationship? I loved it. And I was totally on Ajax's side because I'm with you because you know what it is. Me and you. That's what I felt. And you want to go switch up some things, so I'm just going to leave. Where did we lose communication? Mm-hmm. When did this, when did it, because it changed so abruptly. It didn't happen, like, over time. He left. She realized she had feelings for him. All this, she starts cleaning up and doing all this extra shit. He, the, his next visit, he comes, and she starts to, like, what does she say? She tells him to lay on her bosom almost, right? Because he was... Yeah, she's like, get, like, cuddles him almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and then he's just like, oh, shit, I see it. Now I see that she puts a ribbon in her hair. I'm looking around. I see the room's cleaned. Like... He was like, oh, now nah, I gotta be out of here. And then, so he, he leaves. And it is a reality check for Sula because she checks herself like, oh, shit, I'm t- I turned into that, that bitch. The bitch I hate, I turned into. Mm-hmm. So, and I think she almost looks at Ajax as, and then she even questions, like, was that even real? Did I make that up? So Sula gets ill, right? It's now 1940. Three years have passed since she's had the affair with June, Nell's husband. And they have not spoken. Nell finally comes to the house to see Sula because she's heard that she's ill. I assumed cancer mm-hmm. because she, she talked about the pain she was in. Mm-hmm. But over. that leave it to Toni Morrison to not give you more than what you need. You just need to know the bitch was sick and she's dying. And she's young. She's only 30, by the way. Mm-hmm. Nell's not going to see her to check on her. It's, it's completely selfish reasons. Nell wants to ask her why she did it, why she slept mm-hmm. with her husband. Mm-hmm. She gets there. Sula's laying in Eva's bed, Eva's room, just staring at the boarded up window. Nell's trying to keep up with the niceties. And I don't know, does Sula finally say, just ask, like, kind of say, just get to what you want to say? Or, so Nell says, why'd you do it? Mm-hmm. And that's when I think Sula gives the line of, it was just, you know, I had space in my head and I just need to fill it up. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't give Nell what she was hoping for, mm-hmm. which Nell, I think, wanted closure. And Sula's not going to give that to you. 
Because as we know in life, like, you can't depend on nobody else for closure. That's how I feel. Like, you yeah, can only you, give yourself closure. You get it. You get it when you decide you want it, when you're ready for it. Right? Yes. But, okay, so wait. Back to Sula's ailment. What if she died because now she's really becoming way more emotional, especially after the Ajax thing happened. And then we hear about moments where after she sleeps with Nell's husband, she hears Nell talking about her and it hurts her. Like, we don't ever really hear about Sula being hurt until this point, right? And then before you know it, the bitch is sick. Sula, to me, her life was never meant to be long. Sula to me is like a blazing fire that and like shakes shit up and then mm-hmm. it blazes very bright and then when it goes out it's gone mm-hmm. and I think that like because Sula followed her own rules came to do what she wanted to do like once she felt like she did everything it was like okay like, son. like a good done. ass movie and it seems like she's okay with dying. Like, she's not scared. She's no, not. She's not trying to prolong her life. She's chilling. She's resigned. She's up in, in Eva's bed, Eva's room, just her letting her days go by. I think that, that there's something so, like, poetic about that. Like, something so beautiful. Just, again, back to Shadrach. Giving yourself the power to decide how you go out, in a sense. Yeah. Like, how you decide to spend your last moments. And she's just like, okay, I'm dying. And by this point, she was already accustomed to death and dying. Yes. She watched her mother die. <laughs> watched and didn't help. <laughs> right, was alive when her uncle was burned to death by her grandmother. And just watched Chicken Little die. Like, death to her was not something to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. It's something that just happens. It happens. Like, we, the only thing guaranteed in life is death. For mm-hmm. all of us. Mm-hmm. Nell ends up getting frustrated and leaves. Mm. And then as Sula is dying, I thought this line was great. She kind of says, like, she's thinking that it's going to hurt and there's going to be like a big burst of pain. Oh, this is my favorite line in the book. She realizes that she stopped breathing. Her heart stopped beating. Uh-huh. And she goes, well, I'll be damned, she thought. It didn't even hurt. Wait till I tell Nell. And it's like, even in the end, she just wants to share this with her friend. Like, that's it. She just wants to be like, well, damn, girl, ain't nothing to be afraid of. Ain't nothing to be afraid of. And that's that's literally how we lose, like, this character who the book is named after and who's a catalyst. She goes out like, okay. I just love Sula. Like, that line solidified my love for her. Like, first time I read it, I liked her. Second time, I was like, damn, this is shady. Yeah. Third time, I'm like, no, she's, she's a bad bitch. Every line has a purpose. Every character has a purpose. No page is wasted on nonsense. Mm-mm. Like, there's no part of this book that you're going to read and you're going to feel like, oh, we didn't need that part. Mm. Every part ties into every little thing. Shadrach story, Tar Baby, the Deweys, Hannah, Plum. Every part ties into what we need to round out one of, to me, it is my favorite book. It's my number one book in any category. It's my favorite because the way it resonates to me through me. And I felt weirdly enough after I finished reading it again, I was like, I feel good. Mm. Like I felt like I felt good. It doesn't have a happy ending. Mm -mm. It doesn't. It, it's a real story. It's like a real book with real characters that you can feel. You feel their pain. You feel their suffering. But you also feel their joyous moments. Like, when they're happy. And I just feel like this is sometimes what you need. Like, although, you know, our romance, like, romance books are great, too. But sometimes you need to read something like this to feel good. And, and to it's also know romantic. That, and there's, yeah, but it's, it's a, and I think, too, it's a love story between women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. between generations of women mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. sure and I, I i truly think that like if you never read sula you gotta pick it up just read it just read it and it's it's gonna be a quick read and just kind of get lost in the genius that is tony morrison
Thank you so much, Kelly, for doing this pod with me. My forever supporter. I love her so much. You can follow her at Kelly Kills. That's K-E-L-L-Y Kills, K-I-L-L-S on Instagram. Follow Books We Should Have Read on Instagram at Books We Should Have Read and Twitter at Books WSR to stay up to date with BWSR happenings. And if you're interested in being a part of the official book club discussions, be sure to join our private Facebook page, which is linked on our website and social media accounts. Sign up for our newsletter to get exclusive BWSR info, get hip to new and upcoming Black authors, and enter our monthly raffle for a $50 gift certificate to a Black-owned bookstore. Our next book is Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin, and that episode features my internet friend, Cassidy Yeye, and releases March 3rd. This podcast was produced and edited by me, Ashley Reynolds, and the dope-ass track you hear in the background was produced by Ty.2Wo. That's T-Y dot the number two W-O on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Bye, y'all.